Psalm chapter 70, the Bible says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, to bring to remembrance. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my heart. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, "Uh Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee, and let such as love thy salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. I'm going to ask Brother Berlucci if he would uh, pray and ask God to bless the message tonight. Amen. Now, this passage of Scripture has three different applications, and I'd like to start with just mentioning the most important one. The most important application of this passage is Jesus Christ and His sufferings. When He's getting ready to go to the cross of Calvary, and He's really got it poured out on Him, I mean, He's suffering like crazy. This passage of Scripture will apply to that. So this is actually a prophecy of Jesus Christ. But secondly, this thing's also going to apply to the Jew in the tribulation period. When they're in their troubled time, when they're really overwhelmed and the pressure's really on them, they're being crushed by all that's going on, this is a prayer that they'll pray to God. But the third application, and this is the beauty of the Bible, the third application is this thing is actually something that David personally is going through. Notice at the beginning of this whole passage, the, the title there, to the chief musician of Psalm of David, to bring to remembrance... So David is trying, as he's praying out this prayer to God in his personal life, what he's trying to do is bring God's mind back to some things. He wants to remind God of some things. Now, I find that a very interesting concept because you know, David knows, you and I know, Jesus Christ, when he was here, knew that Almighty God's omniscient. But when Jesus Christ is praying and he's talking to God, he's like, Thou wilt not suffer my soul to stay in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. It's like, hey, remember what you promised to me. Remember what you've said. Isn't it interesting that an omniscient God who knows all things is, is kind enough and patient enough to allow us to bring things to his remembrance? You ever stop and think about some of the stuff you read in the Bible? God, God puts in the inspired scripture, he puts a title to bring to remembrance. These guys are bringing some things back to my mind and asking me to remember some things. That's a pretty wild thing to think about. Notice in the passage in verse 1, he says, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Two times he asks God to make haste. Verse 5, he says, Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and deliverer, O Lord. Make no tarrying. So again, he says, Make haste. So here he is praying to God, not only bringing things back to God's memory like God forgot, 
like God made a promise he's not going to come through on. But on top of that, then, he's saying, God, don't just remember. Remember now. God, hurry up. God, please end this problem. And God's so gracious that he steps back and says, okay, I'll let you. And I go ahead and even put it that way in the Bible. A psalm of remembrance. I want to look at this passage briefly tonight to maybe get some help from it when you and I are in a bad spot. Because, look, when you're in a bad spot, you act wrong. My preacher always said, when a man acts out of character, it's because he's under pressure. Not only do we need to know how to handle our own problems, but we need to realize that God knows when we're in a mess that we don't act right, that we don't think right. If you stop and you think about Elijah, Elijah had this same problem, this this God's late syndrome. That's the syndrome that, that David is having here. God, hurry up. God, this has to end. God, you're blessing my enemies. They're going on. They seem to be doing well. And you're not backing the pressure off of me. My situation isn't changing. I've been praying to you and talking to you. God, Father, if there be any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Even Jesus Christ in his perfection was telling God, Lord, this situation's really bad and I don't like it and I don't want to have to do this. This is not what I want to go through, but Lord, if that's what you want to put me through, then I'll go through it. Think about that for a second. That's a, a wild concept to me, that he can be perfect, but at the same time, his personal will went against the will of God and what kept him perfect is he surrendered his will to the will of his Father. Jesus Christ himself praying to the Father. If it be possible, any other way. He knew what God wanted him to do before he came here. And at the last minute, he's going, yeah, Lord, let's not do this. There's David, a a great man of God. I mean, a, a man that's been close to God for many years. A man that's been through a lot of things. And he's just absolutely saying, God, please hurry up and stop this madness. You got, you got Elijah. It's amazing to me what a powerful man of God Elijah was. And yet Elijah got backslidden. Elijah felt like God wasn't coming in on time. God wasn't blessing his ministry enough. I'm the, you know, I'm the only one you know, that hasn't bowed the, image, bowed the knee or, or, or kissed the image with Baal. And look, look at me, I'm all alone. And He's t- talking to God like, hey God, do you remember? Do you even know who I am? Have you watched what I've done? Do you watch what I am doing? He's trying to bring some things back to God's memory. And when God don't seem to be coming through on time, he gets discouraged and takes off and quits. Think about Moses. You know how many times Moses had to bring God to remembrance? You know what? God didn't forget a thing. God, you're the one that brought these people out, and if you go ahead and slaughter them all, then our enemies are going to think that we just brought, you just brought them out to kill them all. God already knew what they were going to think. God didn't care what his enemies thought. God's like, I got another plan. I'll start over. But Moses brings some things to God to remembrance, and it actually seemed to work to change God's mind. Think about that. It might be pretty important for you and I to learn how to bring some things to God's remembrance. But before we do, I think there's some things you and I got to remember about God in our bad time. The first thing that I want you to remember, don't forget, is that you're committed to following Jesus Christ, right? Isn't that what you and I did when we got saved and then we got into a church like this and we decided we're going to serve the Lord? You committed to following Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. Most people don't know what that actually means. Most people are very confused about what it is to follow Jesus Christ. What is the meaning of following Him? You remember Matthew 16, 24, right? 
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his and follow me. Now, how is it that you and I forget that when we get ourselves in Psalm Psalm chapter 70? Everything is against me. Nothing's working out. My problems seem to get worse once I got serious about serving the Lord. It's all coming apart. How is it that we forgot that what we signed up for was to take up our cross and follow Him. Lord, since I've been following you, the blessings haven't been there. A lot of times that's what we're saying when we get angry and and, and full of like strife about our problems and about our issues and about God not answering our prayers in time and not giving me my wants and not showing up in time. And I mean, I've been serving God all these years. I've been tithing all these years. I'm not making any more money than I used to. I've been praying for this particular prayer request for a long time and God just seems to have forgotten me and I'm so frustrated and my loved ones haven't gotten saved quick enough and I've been wanting them to get right and they're not getting right and I just get frustrated and aggravated. been trying to serve God. And look at this. We start thinking God's forgotten about us. We forgot that when we followed Jesus Christ and decided we were going to start serving Him, that that meant we were signing up to pick up a cross and follow Him. So actually when you're in this situation and God says no to your request, that's actually not necessarily a bad thing. He said no to His own Son. He said no to the best Christian the New Testament ever saw, the Apostle Paul. He asked him three times to give him his eyesight back. A man called to write down Holy Scripture. A man called to teach and preach the Old Testament and the New Testament and pen 13 books in the New Testament. And God had him almost blind. Now you imagine that. What I do is spend a vast majority of my time reading and writing. And I'm telling you something, as I'm getting older, my eyes are doing a little bit more of this, and I'm like, man, that could just about give you a panic attack. I cannot lose my eyesight. I'm wearing them out fast. I got a bigger print Bible to read at home for that reason. I can't imagine not having eyes. A great man like the Apostle Paul. But you know what? He got to know the Lord better than any of us. And God said, I can't take that away from you. I can't answer that prayer because I won't be able to use you if I don't keep you in that situation. What we have to remember before we start asking God to remember stuff is that we signed up for some of the trouble we get because we love Him. This is why you don't hear this stuff preached in the modern church. You won't get people, you will not build a massive modern church preaching like this. But I'll tell you what you will get. You will get genuine Christians that will say, you know what, that helped put some things in perspective for me. The meaning of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. You know, you know what he was? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Grief wasn't just something that happened. You and I go through a few times in our life maybe where there's some grief. He was acquaint, he, his acquaintance, his constant keeps showing up, constant keeps having it throughout his life was grief. And then whenever we get in a little grief, it's like, God, you forgot me. No, you forgot what you signed up for. First thing to remember is that we're here to follow Jesus Christ, and if we want to get to know Him better, guess what we got to know? We got to know a little bit of suffering. We got to know a little bit of, no, I'm not rushing in there to change your circumstances. 
No, I'm not answering overnight. Mark 10, 21, it said that the, the rich young ruler thought following Jesus Christ meant that he could keep his power and his influence and his money. Remember that? He was so serious about the Lord, man. The Lord said, I, man, I see how close you are. Here's what you got to do. Sell all you have, give your goods to the poor, and come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad because he couldn't do it. You know what his problem was? His problem was he didn't want the real deal of what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. You know why a lot of Christians get out once the going gets rough? They don't really want to know Jesus Christ that bad. I mean, you get hit with all the health problems Paul has gotten hit with. I mean, within a few months of getting saved at 59 years old, and then for a decade, your life just goes straight downhill physically. You know, you know, what, you know what, what? Whatever you can or can't say about him, I'll say this much. Whatever he's got's real. Lost his eyesight. Carrying around an a, a oxygen thing he's hooked to 24-7. Still coming to church. Rheumatoid arthritis tearing his whole body up. Still coming to church. That's a testimony, man. That's somebody that got in for the right reasons and then his life literally fell apart. And he's still in. Hard to find Christians like that today. 2 Corinthians 4.10a tells you that you're always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That's what it means to serve Jesus Christ and to follow Jesus Christ. But the thing of that is, is that in that process of following Jesus Christ through the troubles, a miracle is developed in you. Go over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I just quoted from it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm staying up here so in case I'm still contagious, I don't spit on the front row like normal. They probably got the highest immune system. I mean, spit on every week by the preacher. Johnny, I don't worry about because the things that kill other people don't kill him as is exhibit A, B, C, D, E, F, G over here. So, but the rest of you, I don't want to make you sick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I don't think I'm still contagious just so you know or I wouldn't be here, but just in case. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.10, I quoted the first part of this, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now look at the second half. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. You see that? You know what's so beautiful about those troubles? Because while you have to die to yourself and your own will, you have to struggle through that. That's, that's bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. But a miracle takes place when you do. You know what the miracle is? You can handle your problems like other people can't. As life begins to get manifested in your life, some of you are going to have more power in your witness when your life looks a little bit more like Jesus Christ's life does. Yeah. When you actually are, are dying to yourself willing and ready and able to take whatever cross comes with being a Christian, to take whatever torment that might bring with it, to take whatever God allows the devil to put on you and the world to put on you and the flesh to put on you and to die to every bit of that and just learn that you want Jesus Christ's life manifested in your life and that His power is truly seen in you when you actually lay down your own life, your own will, and through the sufferings you stay faithful to Jesus Christ. It's a miracle. It's no miracle for you to stay faithful to the Lord when everything's going your way. That's, that's absolutely nothing. It's nothing. 
God's blessing you and everything's put together and all, all, the, all there is to serve in Jesus is nothing but great times and great memories and everything's been so perfect and me and the wife just haven't had one quarrel since we got saved and you know our, our children are just the perfect children just flittering around the house, little angels, we have to always pull them down to keep them you know, normal and grounded because since we got saved and got in the Bible, we've just been just training them right, we do everything right. You know when you really get tested? When you're trying to do everything right and the world around you still keeps falling apart. And you keep trying to do right. That is the life also that Jesus manifested in your mortal body. When you get off the drugs or whatever other addictions you got, hidden secret addictions, the secret sins, uh, all that stuff, and you stay off of them, you don't go back on them. You don't want to go back on them. Because you got something that means a lot more to you than that mess. When all the secret sins, the spiritual sins down in your soul, the envy and the strife and the division and the critical spirit and the unthankfulness and the, the, just that, that cloudy, nasty attitude, right? When you get the victory over all that stuff and just start allowing Jesus Christ to live in you, that's a powerful thing. First of all, you and I need to remember that we're here to follow Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, please, verse 10. Here's one of my, this actually is my... <laughs> Life verse, and I've thought about changing it a couple of times. <laughs> uh, since, since I picked this, this as my life verse, man, I've felt like well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, by the way, I don't recant. I was kind of joking. It's still my life verse. Philippians 3, 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now watch it. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You really want to know the Lord? We're really followers of Jesus Christ, right? Then if you want to get to know Him, you've got to know a little bit of what it feels like to suffer. It's one of the reasons bad things happen to really good people. It's one of the reasons that when you sell out to Jesus Christ and get serious about God, you will find things start fighting against you. This is one of the reasons right here because what happens when you fellowship with his sufferings is you get to know him in ways you'd have never known him without the problems. So that is why every true believer, true follower of Jesus Christ at some point or another comes to a point where Psalm 70 is their own prayer. God, did you forget me? God, I need your help. Because it's, it's when you're allowed to suffer, when you're allowed to go through bad times and when God steps back and lets it happen and watches you through it, and doesn't answer for a while, but just stands there and waits. He's testing your metal. He's seeing if you're going to get to closer to Him, get to know Him, walk with Him more, and learn some things about Jesus Christ you'd have never learned without your problems. See, we look at our problems wrong, folks. So many times it's all the way I was raised, all the father I had, all this, that, and my circumstances. Why, why are you looking at your problems that way? They're an opportunity for God to teach you some things about Jesus Christ that other people with a cream puff in their mouth their whole life never have a chance to learn. Because God doesn't trust them enough to put the problems on them. He doesn't see a heart in them enough that says He really wants to know my son. It's not there. So God don't trust them. Why why does it always have to be the people with problems are the ones that are wicked and God's judging them? See, that's biblical midgetry. (laughs) Excuse the phrase. That's what that is. Back in Psalm 70, please, the second reason that you and I th- thing you and I need to remember when we're going through our problems is we remember, need to remember that Jesus Christ had some enemies. We're following Him, right? So we've got to know the meaning of that. We've got to know the miracle in that. 
But we've got to remember, too, that if he had enemies, so are we. Look at verse 1. Make haste, God, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, Aha, aha. So what you've got here is Jesus Christ that has some enemies. This is, this is definitely a prayer of Jesus Christ and he's going through his sufferings. They're all surrounded him. They're all about to wipe him out. He says, let him be ashamed and confounded. You know what they're doing? They're seeking his soul. Now, now the people were trying to kill him. The people were trying to make accusations against him. You think that's all the devil wanted out of it? You know what the devil wanted? He wanted the soul of God. And where else could he get it but in the person of Jesus Christ? That's why the Psalms talk about the bulls of Bashan surrounding his cross. They went to the very last drop of blood. They went to the final finish, man, trying to suck the soul out of Jesus Christ and get him to commit one sin against God. And he was as human as you and I. So those jokers are shooting every thought into his mind that they can. God's not fair. God's forgot you. Why'd God let this happen to you? God's turned his back on you. You've got to believe he died. I mean, this is just the MRV, right? It's the Mike Reagan version. But I'm just telling you, I think there's a lot of credibility to it. You've got to believe they were trying to get in him any way he could to get him to accuse the Father, to get him to turn on the Father, to get him to commit one tiny little sin, one wrong thought that could take root in his mind, anything they could do to get his soul. They wanted him to sin. Now, he had those enemies, right? Guess what you got? The second they couldn't have your soul anymore because you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world wrestle against you. God, why ain't this backing off? Because you're still in the flesh. This ain't stopping until you go home. And the more you get to know Jesus Christ, the more you grow in the Lord, the more they'll come after you. If you can just get distracted by the world and hooked up with it, get, get you addicted to the world, they can let you run with that. Your flesh will take over from there and they're good to go. But you get a little bit of victory in your life, you put some of that behind you, God gives you the help with all that, they find more inventive ways to get at you. You never grow out, there's no discharge in this war. You understand that? That's going to keep coming at you. Well... Those aren't necessarily my enemies. You know what Satan's referred to in the Bible as? One of his names is he's the accuser of the brethren. He would love to get God to turn on you. He would love to get God to break his own word, break his own rules, and condemn you after you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's the accuser of the brethren. Jesus Christ is the mediator that ever lives to make intercession for you. And as long as Jesus Christ stays God and he will forever, then you're safe. It doesn't matter what the devil says to you. We're going to shout and rejoice when the accuser of the brethren gets cast down. That's going to be a great day. He is constantly trying to make sure God recognizes every sin you commit. He's an enemy of your soul. Now, when you've got Jesus on your side and his blood, you don't have to worry about it. Who cares what they're doing up there? Who cares what he's trying to say to God? Don't, don't worry about that stuff. But I'm just telling you, you've got an enemy. And you've got a lot of them. And they're pretty powerful and they've been around a pretty long time. And the only reason they're your enemy is because they're his enemy. So as long as you stick with him, you're going to be all right. But they also, in verse number two, they seek his hurt. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. I think that applies not only to the principalities and powers, but I think that applies to the human enemies of God. They wanted to hurt Jesus Christ. 
And you know they want to hurt you too? They can't get your soul. What's the next thing they, uh, the devil asked God for with Job? Let me add his body. He'll hurt you physically if he can. He'll hurt you emotionally. And he'll hurt you spiritually if he can. And what he'll do a lot of times on the emotional and physical side is use people. You think about that. <laughs> you having people problems doesn't mean that you're some kind of a horrible Christian. That's what they'll say to you. How many Christians ever have somebody start junk with you while you're innocent, pick on you, and then turn around and point the finger at you and say, you're supposed to forgive me. You're a Christian. How come you're not forgiving? How come the response is never, why aren't you forgiving me? <laughs> I know that's not spiritual, right? Some of you need to fight a little dirtier. Not spiritually dirty, but, you know, street fight dirty, you know what I mean? Just turn it right back on them. Why am I responsible to forgive you? I didn't do you wrong. Now, you think you're right all the time. I didn't do you wrong. Why, can't, why shouldn't you forgive? You know so much about it. Why don't you set an example of it? People don't even understand that thing biblically, but they'll use it as a weapon on you. They'll try to hurt you emotionally. If the devil can get some of you hurt emotionally, he can get you bitter. And he'll use some old nasty, <laughs> trying not to say anything too mean, to do it. You better be careful. you got some foes out there. you got to remember that. Not only do they seek to destroy his soul and seek to hurt him, but they also seek to accuse him and catch him in a snare. Look at verse 3. Let them be turned back for a war of their shame that say, Aha, aha. You know, what, you know what that thing's pointing out to you? It's pointing out that some people are dying to catch you doing something wrong. If they can't catch you doing something wrong, they'll make something up. If they can't make anything up, they'll change the rules to get you, Daniel. American government in the direction that stuff's going right now. The school systems. You know what they're doing? They're rewriting the rules. You know, when I was a kid not long ago, we could say anything we wanted and call them whatever name we wanted to call them. Nobody could do nothing about it. Nowadays, you're going to get there come after you for hate speech. You just preach the Bible and the truth of the Bible. Just give them truth. Just tell them what the Bible says. And I will guarantee you before long, that is going to be a crime. I, in this country, I'll guarantee it. If God tarries, I believe it will happen in my lifetime. They just rewrite the rules. Now all of a sudden, if you have a brain and you're scientific about things, you're the enemy if you state the truth about science. We're not even talking Bible. In some environments, just being scientifically, like that's not scientific. You ever notice how always connected to the trans movement is also the mental health movement? God forbid anybody point that out. How come it's like the big white elephant in the room that nobody can point out? But you're supposedly, you know, us Bible-believing preachers, we're supposedly putting people in PTSD and all kinds of trauma and all the rest of that. But these idiots that are teaching people to do the opposite and defending the people that do the opposite, number one, a lot of them won't do it themselves. Number two, they always have mental health services connected with their surgical services. Does anybody stop and ask questions about the validity of this stuff? about the scientific side of it. Now, if that's not even allowed to be questioned in certain circles, you let the kids they're training right now grow up and be making the rules. Give it 20 years and see what happens. 
It is going to be a crime for me to get up and preach the Bible. So some of you younger guys think God's calling you to preach, then you better be ready to face the music. You better understand the reality of what you're getting into. Go for it. I think you should. I'd sign up again if this was 20 years ahead of time, if you know what I mean by that. I wouldn't let it stop me, but I'm just saying that's what's happening. They, they rewrite the rules with their, with their New Testament in their, you know, their, their uh, extra, um, not their New Testament, their Old Testament extra laws that weren't in, weren't in the Bible. And they're trying to bust Jesus Christ based on all their religious rules. This, if we can't get them and we hate them, then we rewrite the rules. That's what they'll do. Do you ever have some of these lost people at work like, uh-huh, uh-uh, you didn't, you didn't pray before you started eating. They'll catch you on anything they can catch you on. You know what, that's pretty frustrating and pretty discouraging. And you sit back and they get the promotion and you're trying to serve God and you're like, I've done so well all these years. I've witnessed to this guy for this long and I get busted on one thing. And then you walk away feeling guilty when they're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, sure. You feel like you gave them an excuse. You can give them an excuse. Their wicked hearts wanted something and they were going to wait till they found something because all they wanted to do was reject the truth. You're not the problem. You're human. Last but not least... What we need to remember when we're in this kind of a situation is we need to remember the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I told you at the beginning this is a prophecy of Him in the future and His sufferings. It says, Let all those that seek Thee rejoice and be glad in Thee, and let such as love Thy salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. Notice what the Lord did in, in this context, in His own troubles. He's thinking of other people. I want to be like that. I want to be to where no matter how bad my problems are, I don't forget about everybody else. It's, it's the respectful thing to say when somebody's going through more than you are. You know, well, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't have as bad of problems as you do. Right? Not what we always say, or when we start feeling bad about our problems, we see somebody that has it worse, and then we feel bad about feeling bad about our problems. You know, that's all really backwards. Somebody that has real problems seems to me to always be more compassionate on other people's smaller problems. Some of the people that have had a life I would never want to trade, never, have been so sweet and kind and helpful to me and my wife in our troubles. Almost embarrassed not even wanting to talk to them because accurately they've had it much worse than us. And amazingly, it's got to be a miracle from God because nobody in the human nature could do it. They're some of the kindest, most thoughtful, most gentle. We bring up their problems. They're like, you can't do that. You can't do what? You can't compare you, your, yourself to somebody else. Don't, don't do that. That's God, folks. You know what I want in my moments like this when I want God to remember me? I want to remember Him. I want to remember that Jesus Christ bore every heartbreak, every problem, every sin of every man, woman, and child in human history upon himself, and the vast majority of them walked away from it after he already went through it for them. And he still cares about people right now. His problems did not make him bitter, his problems did not make him angry. His problems did not make him hard, although we'll admit he is as strong as they come. They don't come any stronger than him. 
He bore the weight of all the world on his shoulders. He carried it down into the center of the earth and dumped it there and rose again the third day and, and went all the way back. I mean, that's amazing how strong he is, but nobody could say that he was hard. You don't find a hard heart in Jesus Christ. You find mind-defying strength, but not hardness. I, I love that about the Lord. When I'm going through my hard times and when my prayers aren't being answered, I mean, kind of funny illustration, but I was sure he, had, he was going to have me better by Sunday morning. I was 100% sure of it. I mean, I think I even told him to tell you, the Lord had given me a Sunday morning Christmas message. You know how that hard that is for me? And it was like, boom, there it is. I'm like, wow, that was cool. You know, God's going to, I'm sick, feeling terrible. I'm working for 10 minutes and putting the thing down. You know? And I'm like, no, nah, God's going to have me better. He wouldn't have given me that message. And it was like, no. <laughs> I'll be better by Wednesday. No. That's pretty aggravating. Because I'm trusting him every day. You know, I'm praying by faith. <laughs> missing church to me is like horrible. You know, when you're in that situation, though, now apply that to something legit where you really aren't getting, he ain't hearing you. That is a great opportunity for you to know what it felt like to be Jesus Christ. Because it made no sense at all that his father wouldn't hear him. He, he did everything right. He never did anything wrong. See what stupid mindsets we get in when we feel like just because we're doing right, it should all be going better. That's a stupid mindset. So I want to remember the faithfulness of my Savior, and he was faithful to seek the welfare of other people. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad. David was the same way. A man after God's own heart. In the middle of his problem, he's thinking about everybody else and God doing something with his problems to say at the end of the verse, let God be magnified. <laughs> what a mindset, man. Instead, we're getting an attitude. God, you're not hearing me. God, how long is this going to take? Like, who do you think you are? Don't you want to be like Jesus? <laughs> See, it ain't, it ain't what people think it is. I'm sorry to keep saying that all the time, but it ain't what you think it is. Notice his desire to magnify God, and then in verse number 5, he says, But I'm poor and needy, make haste unto me. O God, thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. He recognizes his own position. I'm poor and needy. You don't have that arrogant Christian attitude. You don't have that while well, I'm doing everything right and I'm serving you and I'm, you know, he, he just, he doesn't have that attitude. Go over with me, if you would, real quick to the book of uh, Psalms. I want you to see, I believe it's 138. Yeah, 138 verse 2. I wrote the reference down, but I can't find it, but I, I had it right. So well, Psalm 138, 2, he said this, he said, I'll worship toward thy holy temple. And praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know, one of the ways you show the Lord that you care about him is by being where you are tonight. The Bible matters more to you than anything else in the world. You want God to be magnified, right? Psalm 70, verse 4. Let God be magnified. How do we do that? some random praise and worship thing where really nothing that's being said is even hardly biblical or you could pull Jesus' name out, put your girlfriend's name in and it would fit. You walk into a church where they shut off all the lights 
Something ain't magnifying to God. I'm just telling you that right now. We magnify God because we tell you what we're about on the sign before you pull in. And we leave the lights on and we encourage you to bring your Bible and if you don't have one, we'll give you one. Why? Because we believe the Word of God has magnified, He's magnified this book above all His name. So now watch the conclusion of the message to bring the remembrance. Now, I said we ought to remember some things about Him before we go reminding Him. And we should. But don't forget, God honored this man reminding God of some things. And God never forgot. Ain't that weird? So how do I know what to remind God about what not to? You got promises from God in this book, right? You've learned His will in this book, right? You know some things from the Bible. So how about reminding God of His promise? You've got to pray a little more biblically sometimes. I want to bring some things back to God's memory. I really do. I want to bring to His memory that he that goeth forth and weepeth for precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I want to remind Him that he, what's yet He has promised, He's able also to perform. And I want to remind him with that, that he promised that he would help me and could keep me going and keep me in and not let me quit, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. I want to remind him of that promise because I don't want to quit. There's some things I want to remind God about. And I believe when you remind God of his own word and say, I'm asking you about this, God, because you said it, and, and I want to know these things. You put some kind of spiritual gift in me, and I don't know what it is yet, and I ought to know by now. So I'm reminding you, you put it in me, and I'm asking you to show me what it is. I'm reminding you that you want me to learn to die to myself, and I struggle with that, God, so I want you to help me die to myself. Teach me what that is and help me get... Remind God of some things. And I will tell you this much, He will never regret reminding Him of some things. But you better make sure the things you're reminding Him of are things that will magnify Him. Not putting his arm behind his back and trying to force him to give you what you want. Paul had nowhere to go in his Bible, in this testament, in this dispensation, to say, God, you've got to give me my sight back. So God said, no. <laughs> it's not my will. I think we get frustrated with God because we're trying to remind him of things we've been wanting him to remember, rather than reminding him of things he said about himself. Psalm to bring to remembrance. And folks, when you're going through a hard time, that is how to handle it. Remind yourself of some things about Him first. And then remind Him based on what He said in His own book. And God will honor that prayer. In a while, then an almighty, omniscient God will sit back and say, Go ahead, remind me. <laughs> Maybe we don't know enough. All right, we'll go ahead and stop there for tonight. We'll be dismissed in prayer. No invitation.